You are about to listen to a message from Dan Moeller, a personal friend and family member of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Dan has an intense passion to see the body of Christ walk in their identity, know the love that God has for them, and then properly show that love to everyone that they encounter. So prepare yourself to be inspired and motivated to be more like Jesus and to love like he loves to everyone that you encounter. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Oh man, I appreciated that flow. We walked into something really sweet, huh? Yeah. No, I we walked into something really awesome. I was like, oh sneak in there and it was just good, man. It was just good. I enjoyed that. I was like, whoa. Listen, just to spring off of even what Pastor David was just saying. You know, when you become, you see, when you come into a church, it's not just I go to that church. I go to church. You really, I want you to understand we're becoming a part of something. And it's the kingdom of God on the earth. And, and uh, it's not some exclusive club thing. It's not a clicky thing. It's not like, you know, this is where I come to hide or hang out or my safe haven as much as God's building something through us. Amen. And he's reaching others through us. So actually, when you get involved in serve, what you're saying is I really... I, I really, it's a, it's, a, it's a response to really believing what you're a part of as far as the kingdom, really. So when you realize, man, my life has an identity in Christ, I've become a part of something, there is purpose behind my salvation. I'm not just trying to live a little better than I did before and waiting for the blessing or heaven. Man, I've become someone in this kingdom and I'm going to co-labor lock arms, we're an army rising up. So there's just a place for that and you have to understand that leadership very simple uh, is a position of influence, the ability to influence. So it's not a title, it's not a badge, it's not something you get prideful in or find identity in as well. The greatest among you is the, he's the servant of all, right? That's a big deal how the kingdom works because it's not that way secular. It's not that way secular at all. So I want to, there's some things that are really on my heart. I don't even know where totally this is going to end up. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I am. I'm emotional right now. It's your fault. And, and I know you were just, we were just, we were just being friends. David and I just hung out and he just, we're just getting to know each other better. And it was just fun. And he's just sharing his heart and he's got me really emotional. I can hardly look at him right now and not cry. So, aha, you really messed me up. There's a reason, guys, I, I preach passionately. If you listen to me on YouTube, when do you never see me not passionate? When have you seen me just ho-hum? Jesus gave his life for this thing. I'm not here to put a heavy on you. This is, it's amazing what we get to be a part of. It's amazing that God sees us in a way that he's willing to forgive us of everything we've ever done. And just give us a fresh place and fresh ground and new life to just run the race worthy of a prize. Like this is about running a race worthy of a prize. It's about becoming something, right? We're not striving. We're not, but, but to do that, you, we have to really, in all our getting, get understanding or the little foxes, they'll spoil the precious fruit of the vine. We'll, we'll get started. Like offenses, offenses. I'm not even, this isn't what I want to talk about today, but I'm just using it as an example. You, you get something good going and little petty offenses rise up and seem like just muddy the whole waters a lot of times. You see a church thriving and things are going and you can actually perceive the grace of God on the work. And something trivial happens and it spreads like a little cancer and 25 people get struck. That kind of stuff. Man, you don't even want that to make sense to you. I'm going to be passionate this morning and real 
narrow. Is that okay? If I'm real pointed, because I'm not, I don't want to even preach this in a way where it's broad. I want you to see what I feel like in my heart and believe the spirit of God is saying like, like I want to preach the gospel in such a way where you don't even have permission in your own heart to let that stuff matter. Like, like, like where the way that seems right to a man doesn't even make sense to you. The, the wisdom of man is the foolishness, is foolishness to God. It says the foolishness of God, whatever that means, is wiser than the wisdom of man. It says if any man thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool or consider to know nothing so he can start knowing. That's really what it means. Isn't that amazing? So what he's saying is there's no comparison to the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. There's, it's, it's a 180. So, so the way that seemeth right, the things that are normal to us, to our emotions, to our feelings, to our rationale, to our conversations. I promise you God wants to redo it all. He wants you personally every day to wake up and realize you're a part of him, a part of his kingdom. He's in you. And, and, and you have the privilege of shining. And you have the privilege of loving. And you have the privilege of making peace and setting an example. See, that's leadership. Leadership is the ability to influence. And the fact that light is in you makes you a leader already. Because light's greater than darkness. Your mindset alone. It should be a deciding factor in leadership in your spheres of influence. You don't think like you used to think. You don't have motivations like you used to have. Your motivations are cleaner. They're pure. They're holy now. Your reason for being is different. See, it's more than praying a prayer to go to heaven and getting blessing and a, and a new job and more money and a bigger house. I mean, praise God for the blessings of God. But you don't have to strive for those things. Our God, yes, our own God, Psalm 67, he'll bless us. That's a given. But I'll tell you, getting in this race, and scriptures like walking in a manner worthy of him, it's not legalism. It's honor and integrity. You've become something. You've become something, and you're shining that something. Like, you're, I don't know if we understand how much our attitudes matter, how much our mindsets and perspective, the eye Lamp of the body, Matthew 6, 22, Luke eleven thirty four. 34. The eye, the way you see, the way you perceive is what decides how you shine. It has nothing to do with the adversity you're going through. It has nothing to do with how others are acting. It has to do with how you see. That sounds simple and powerful to me, man. See, that, that ramps me up. Because now you can't touch me. Life doesn't have the power to touch me because his life's inside me. I'm looking through truth. Truth is making me free. Then all of a sudden, there's a new wisdom in my life. That's what happened to my hair. <laughs> Never looked like this. And I like it. <laughs> my hair never looked like this. The more I read my Bible and spent time with God, it was like the Charlton Heston thing coming off the mountain with the tab. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed, man. But it's the wisdom of God. You don't think for yourself. What a freedom. That's liberty. You know, think, do you know how many people 
are thinking for themselves as Christians, praying for themselves. They got all their needs in line. They're, they're feeling anxiety. They're praying for a sense of peace. But what's in front of them is God just working things out for them constantly. And they're using all their faith to get through the day. Instead of all their faith to shine in the midst of their day. Whether things change or not. See, we don't. We don't look for that kind of preaching, see? We think, yeah, but they should change. But we can move mountains. You have to think for the kingdom, guys. Sometimes we're needs-driven. We don't even realize it. Sometimes our needs are wants. Sometimes you think you need somebody to change and be a certain way just to make things. Sometimes I, I believe this actually in my heart, that God will connect you with people that challenge you. I believe in a church setting, it would be amazing if we understand that. You say, well, if I would choose to work with anybody in this church, it wouldn't be them. Well, that's what God wants to root out of your life. He doesn't want you to have that preference. That'll slip into self-righteousness and judgment and all of a sudden comparing among yourselves. You're not wise. And all of a sudden, it's like you devalue. You see someone with less value than another because of preference differences, personality conflicts. What is that? I don't think God at all looks at individuals and says, boy, they bother me. <laughs> I don't think Jesus taught us that. I think that's something we learned by living individually, individualistic and separate from God and his spirit. I think it's something we learn by just living in the world and living in life. So we're to come out from among him and be these separate. That doesn't just mean don't lie and steal and cheat. It means don't think like the world. Don't be motivated like the world. Don't love the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Man, you want to get to a place through your union and relationship with God that those things don't even make sense to you anymore. And I'm telling you it's possible if you steward your own heart and you get your eyes off of everybody else's heart. Look, I can be encouraged by your heart, but your heart can never be a detriment to me. Like the only permission you have in my life to is empower me. There's no way you can slow me down. It's impossible. You can't get on my nerves. You can't break my heart. I didn't wake up to depend on you. I woke up to be like him and to shine and to love you. And even if you don't want love, I can still love you behind the scenes sincerely in my prayers. I can still love you. You can do everything wrong and I can still see you right. <laughs> see, I'm the steward of my heart. So I have to settle in my own heart, my own conscience. What do I really believe and what am I in this for? And what am I becoming and what is God willing to cause me to be? And I don't know about you, but I believe he paid a price for grace, a measure of God's working power in life. And I don't want one drop of that ability from God to miss my life. I don't want natural thinking and rational thinking to limit grace from making me what's possible. Wrong thinking, wrong believing is a detriment to us. And we don't realize how sneaky and subtle it is because we were trained a certain way our whole lives to feel and to think. And you'd be amazed how much we live by sensuality, impressions, memories, flashbacks. And we let what we think and feel sometimes determine who we are and how we are instead of what we believe rise up above that and crush that and push it aside till we see a different way. You say, how do you do that? You challenge everything that's not from your heart. You challenge everything that's not building you up and edifying you. You challenge everything that doesn't produce righteousness or reveal the heart and love of God. 
I don't care how real it feels. Stop identifying with it and asking for prayer about it. Rise up in your heart when nobody's looking and say, Father, I thank you. You're doing a work in me. God, I thank you. My heart is being changed by your spirit, by your life, and by your love. And God, I thank you. I'm becoming a brand new person. The way you're working in me is amazing. So what are you doing? You're shouting down the thing that seems normal and the thing that's trying to say it's you and you're rising up in your heart and your faith and saying, there ain't no way that's me because that's not what's inside of me. And all of a sudden, you're not going to sell cheap because you're not for sale. But if you don't get aggressive and you don't take accountability for your own heart, your own conscience, your own life, see, nobody can live your faith for you. I can encourage your faith, and I can promote faith, and I can explain faith, and I can preach faith, and I can model it. But you're the one that lives faith for you. You're the one that lives with you. You're the one that really knows you. It's not my place to project on your heart. You know your heart. It's not a leader's place to project on a heart. Now, some things get exposed, and you have to address them, and they're just they're on the sleeve, and you know. But that's a risky place. I don't even want that in my life. I'm like, Lord... I'd really love you to chill on just people's hearts and perceiving hearts and, unless it's really, really important. Because it's thin ice. It's a dangerous place. You don't want to project on people. You don't want to judge people. You don't want to touch people wrong. If your impression's wrong, they could be really sincere and you might see them for something else and then sets them back because I can't believe you think that about me because there's weaknesses in folks. Now here's, okay, wow, thank you, watch. Even if people do that, is it possible to not get hurt and offended and to understand that they just read you wrong? Do we have to internalize it? Do we have to stew on it? Do we have to tell two friends about it? Or can we just be secure in Jesus and be okay? I mean, do you really think what I'm preaching is possible or is it too far out there? Are we, are we so gripped by the way we've all been that we can't believe that there's real change through him? Because I'm telling you the gospel is about real change through him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the man that I used to know. I don't ever want to be the man that I used to live. I'm born again. I'm a brand new man. Old things, the old man and his deeds. If all things become new, I bet he's talking about mindsets, motives, perspectives. I bet he's not just talking about fixing the things we broke and forgiving the bad days. I bet he makes all things new. You guys with me? So here's the deal. Why am I so passionate about this? Because until we become these things, all we have is a language to people. I'm not being, don't hear that in a heavy way. It's true. You, you want more than a doctrine. You want a life. The word became flesh. It's the first thing we see about Jesus. He said to follow him so the word ought to become flesh in you. You don't want to just have a doctrine. The reason I'm saying this is, watch, each seed. It's the first law in your Bible, seed time and harvest time. The, each seed after what? It's own kind. If I study my Bible long enough, I can preach a sermon. And I can impart to you knowledge, and I can stimulate your thinker and get you thinking about some stuff. Granted, there's an anointing on it. The word's alive. Praise God for his word, right? But if this thing becomes my life, and, and all I'm preaching is what I've become, what I've seen, what I've lived, what I know, what I enjoy, what I've walked through. And I'm actually not preaching my doctrine. I'm preaching us and my life. And it's coming out then in a consistency because it's not what we do. It's who we are. So we're not works driven. We are manifesting the truth of healthy identity. And it's just a product of our life. The tree has become good. And the fruit's automatic. 
So I'm not laboring to bear good fruit. I'm a good tree. Yay. <laughs> Do you get it? Come on. <laughs> so then when I minister these truths, guess what happens? It's coming out of revelation. It's coming out of things I've tasted and been and experienced. It's from coming through trials and walking through and being merciful and treated wrong and not letting the wrong change what's right. It, was in, it didn't matter how much bad they did against Jesus, you couldn't make him bad. You couldn't change his good. He was done in a body as a man more wrong than any man. By far, nothing comparable. He was done more wrong by men than any man ever could be because he was completely pure and innocent. No man was ever done more wrong than he was done wrong. And that measure of wrong couldn't change his right. Are you following me? You couldn't change his heart. You couldn't do enough wrong against him. Enough injustice to make him change his mind. Why? Because he is love. He doesn't do love. He is love. People say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. And we picture him as just some supernatural figure that was empowered beyond everybody else. Because, and we missed the whole point. You can't say, yeah, but that was Jesus. He doesn't even want you to say that. Because he's firstborn among many. He said, the things I do, you'll do if you believe. So everything, every pressure on your life is against your belief system. Because everything comes to the believer. So all of hell and all its strategies are coming against your belief system to get you to believe somewhat wrong. Because half the truth is deadly. You can't say, well, that was Jesus and make him some super figure, unattainable, unreachable. Or he would have never said, follow me. It's not, yeah, that was Jesus. We missed the point. No, that was love. It's not, yeah, that was Jesus. It's, wow, that was love. That's what love looks like. Did you ever hear Misty Edwards' song? What does love look like? I play that thing. I can't even take it. I just cry. So if I'm called to love, what's it look like? And then she said, then I saw him there, hanging on a tree, looking at me, looking at him, staring through me. She says, now I know what love looks like. She got it. He's love. You can't say, well, that was Jesus. You say, well, he did this, he did this. And people say, well, yeah, that was Jesus. No, 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 that was love, and that's what you're created for. That's what you're called to. That's what this is all about. The whole goal of our instruction, the whole purpose of the outcome of these things is love, that we come out of it looking like him. Not just blessed, not receiving a word, not just getting ministry. Empowered to become love. Because if we miss becoming love, narrow right now, okay? We've missed the whole point of why he sent his son. And we've done a lot of church without becoming her. We've got to become her. And that's not pressure. That's an invitation. What's that mean? Walking in a manner worthy. These scriptures are in there. We don't have to be afraid that they're legalism and be afraid to preach them. I can become walking in a manner worthy by grace by simply waking up in the morning and understanding why my heart's beating and why I'm alive. That mercy woke me up today to give me another day to shine. <laughs> not another day to need. 
Not another day to live insecure. Not another day to put our expectation on a brother or sister. Not another day to have an attitude. Not another day to think unproductive. But a day to surrender, to shine, to understand I'm on the earth for one reason, his image. And I'm called to love you. You say, yeah, but people, that's why you need to love. Complaining hasn't changed anybody. Watch this. Going to church changes no one around you. You going to church changes no one in your sphere of influence. There's churches everywhere. Tomorrow they're going to be filled up, man. They're on all kinds of street corners everywhere. It doesn't matter what city, what town, what state you go to. There is a mass amount of churches everywhere. And tomorrow there's going to be people in all of them. And going to church has never and will never change the world. But becoming love will. Now I'm not saying don't go to the church. But make sure you go to stir yourself up in love and good works. People come here tomorrow. We got to make sure we come for the right reason. Don't come without relationship and communion with God. Don't come and not even have thought of him until you come and now you're singing to him. Don't just rush, get the kids together and be striving to make it on time and be half stressed and frustrated with each other because somebody didn't wake them up soon enough and I thought you were waking them up. Well, you were, were always late. Well, I just love to get there on time just once. And next thing you know, you shuttle them into children's church and you lay down your stuff. And, <laughs> and we just learn how to do church. And prove that we're missing the whole point of what we're doing. And there might be a time to just stop and say, whoa, wait, let's get a grip, honey. Stop. I love you. I don't like the way this feels. I don't like even what we're teaching the children without realizing it. Because if you don't pursue Christ-likeness in your life, and you make it a point to make sure your kids grow up in church, but you don't pursue Christ-likeness, inadvertently you teach your children that church attendance is Christianity. Without realizing it. People say, well, my children are growing up in church. Well, my baby's growing up in church. Well, I want my kids growing up in church. So we shuttle them to church and then fail to live like Christ and do more damage than we've ever done good. And we actually teach them religion and we teach them that church is Christianity and this is real life. And we say things like, well, yeah, but everybody has their moments. And, you know, it's like that in every family. And all of a sudden, we stereotype our lives, subvert faith, and live by everybody else's experience instead of follow him. Because his home wouldn't look like that. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> You guys all right? Yeah. You really are. I, I like you guys a lot. You really, you have no idea. I, man, last night, it was just fun just hearing your hunger and just, just your, your desire for truth. It was humbling. It was awesome. Because I really perceive it right now. I'm going to talk really strange and play, plain. I got some stuff on my heart that's coming, and I didn't know. If, I was trying to avoid going there. Because I'm emotional about it. See, I'm, as soon as I start thinking it, I start ready to cry. But we're going to go there because it won't leave me alone. So, uh, steward of your heart, simple, practical stuff. You wake up in the morning. Man, teach yourself to commune with God. I mean, that's not a weird phrase. You sometimes just got to teach yourself not to live in the flesh, not to just 
live in the moment of feeling. Sometimes your body's not ready to get out of bed. Sometimes you wish it wasn't six o'clock and you had to get up and you wish it was another day and you could sleep till eight. I mean, I understand what, what, what people say when they mean that. But bottom line is you got to get up at six because you have commitments, responsibility, earning an income, whatever it might be, whatever the story. And you got to accept that, embrace that and see life as a privilege and understand that you have a sphere of influence around you called the people that you're in contact with. And more so than just one time passing by, which is fun, and we teach that stuff in Power and Love and what you did yesterday at the dock. That's a passing by, one time, boom. That's, that's awesome. But I'll tell you what's really important is those everyday spheres of influence where you have continual contact with certain folks because they're the ones that see who you are. People are wowed and brought right to God through the word and through the prophecy and through the dead on thing and the gifting that God does. And that's awesome. But in your workplace, in your family, in your workplace, in some of these other places where you are, in your bowling league or whatever it might be, on your softball team, whatever, I'm just throwing out some thoughts. That's where people get to see you. And that's where your life really, really matters without you carrying pressure, but seeing it as privilege. Man, I get to shine. And you say, well, nobody's perfect. I'm not even talking perfection. I'm talking the purity of heart. I'm talking about taking responsibility for things. And even if you find yourself slipping in a thing, man, take responsibility and ownership and make peace where peace needs made. And let people see the beauty of repentance that men can become new and wiser and sharper because they're sincere and they're on a journey. See, because nobody in their heart can mock that if they see that. And they can mock it surfacely, but in their heart, they can't mock it. I worked with guys that had strength in numbers it was numbers so they would mock me all the time they would put cartoon things on the bulletin board they'd make fun of me on the intercom and it was just because they didn't understand me my life was so different than they felt so challenged and threatened by me but in the long run there was nothing about my life that they could attack that was negative or that they had solid grounds on and after a while I begin to break them down begin to break them down and then they start coming to me with problems. They start coming to me with questions. They come to me for prayer. And by the time I left that workplace after two and a half years, men were getting saved. We had prayer groups and Christians come out of the woodwork. Men that went to church that I couldn't believe went to church. And I'm not being rude. They went to church with their wife and kids on Sunday and came to work and said four curse words to get out six English. And they were just one of the guys stealing, breaking open food and eating it. And they went to church every week with their families. And when I got saved, they got so convicted, they came out of the woodwork and said, wow, we need change. We actually go to church, but we don't understand. And they came clean. Praise God. Because what a zero going to church. It's like we're paying homage to God and somehow signing some kind of... <laughs> You know, where God's check. Hey, I saw you were in church. Good boy. See you next Sunday. That's pretty twisted weird. Because here I am, their co-worker. And when I heard they went to church, it shocked me. I, I didn't try to express that, but I probably did somehow. Like, oh, you go to church? Like, really? You're almost like, why? You know, that's how you tended to snap judgment think. Because it was shocking. But two and a half years of life and example. Ah. You get in trouble when you preach this stuff with folks that are listening for something wrong. There's a handful of folks that have done that over the years. It's tragic that people listen. That's all they did with Jesus. They, he's doing all this amazing thing and speaking. And all they did was sit to listen what they didn't agree with so they didn't have to listen. 
Because I get talking like this, people say, well, you sound like you're perfect. Well, you sound like you never sin. Well, what happens? You sound like you never make a mistake. I'm telling you it's possible to be a beautiful, amazing example to your coworkers if you're serious and you wake up in Jesus and talk to the Holy Spirit and you take responsibility if there is weakness. But I'm telling you, you don't have to settle for weakness. Let's stop always being afraid to go after Jesus and stop saying, well, brother, nobody's perfect. Everybody's going to sin. Let's stop selling that thing so much. And let's see what's possible with grace. That's who's really stepped out just to see what God can make you. You're so busy relating to your past experience and everybody else's journey that maybe we're not even following him. So we embrace a language that we call humble, but wonder if it's robbing us of truth. I wonder if, well, brother, we're always going to sin. Nobody's perfect. You know, we all miss it. I wonder if that's not humble language. I wonder if that's deception. I wonder if you're not even supposed to be thinking about sin. You're supposed to be thinking about righteousness. I wonder if you're supposed to be overtaken with a pure heart towards God and righteous thinking so righteousness can produce its fruit to holiness. And all of a sudden you're living holy without biting your lip to be holy. Why are we so afraid to believe in righteousness? At large, I'm not saying you individually. And when I say that, why are we? I'm not talking to this house. I'm talking to the church at large. That language is out there. You know it's out there. As soon as you talk talking about free from sin, people say, yeah, but we're always going to sin. And we feel like we have to boast in our ability to sin. Why don't we boast in our ability for him to keep us and our ability to be kept by God and grace to see us through and walk in a place we've never walked? What's it mean to die to sin and be dead to sin consciousness? What's it mean to be alive unto God and reckon yourself dead to sin? Come on. Now, that's not the language I hear in the church. I hear us boasting in our ability to fail as if it's a form of humility. And I think it's deception. I think we're selling something short called grace through faith. I wonder if you'd wake up in the morning and say, Father, I thank you. I don't have to fail today. I thank you. My flesh isn't evil and wicked and waiting to mess up. I thank you, God, you've aligned my being. I'm a spirit. I have a soul and I live in a body. My spirit rules and my soul's in agreement. My flesh says, yes, sir. Yeah. I've prayed that way for years. I've walked a bedroom and if pastors would have heard me pray, they tried to calm me down. I found that out later. Father, I thank you never again will frustration and stress eat my lunch and ruin the day. God, I thank you. I'm a transformed man. I am born again. I'll never be the same. I thank you. No man owes me a thing and I know owe no man anything but to love. You're doing a work in me. You're transforming me and you're making me more like you every day. God, I'm having the time of my life. What a fun ride. Take me to the finish line. I'm ready to run. That's how I talk to the Lord when I'm alone. And then you get out in public and people are people sometimes and it doesn't phase you because you are established in a truth that's making you free. And all of a sudden you're not an emotional mess and you're not trying to not be angry and show it. (laughs) Anger management is a real big hot topic on the earth. A few years ago it was all you heard. Anger management, anger management course, anger management class. To the Christian it should be hypocrisy. Anger management's hypocrisy. I'm angry at you, David. You really shouldn't have did that, but I'm going to act like you didn't and act like we're cool, but we're not because I'm angry, but I'm a good manager. The Bible says put to death these things. It says kill them, not manage them. There's a difference between killing and managing. Put off these things. That's not manage. That's realize it's not you. 
And it never was intended to be you from the beginning. That it became you through Adam, but now we're in Christ. So we're putting off the old and we're putting on the new. How do you do that? In prayer alone with Jesus. Because you're serious and sincere and you ain't playing. And you walk your bedroom and you say things like this. Father, I thank you no one owes me anything. Insecurity has tried to eat my lunch for years. A low esteem, identity crisis, trying to find my value through others has been a torment and a long, hard road. God, thank you for the good news of the truth that finds my identity in you. I'm accepted in the beloved. God, rejection can never touch me again. Lord, I'm not an anxious person. I'm not full of anxieties and fears. Wow, you've taught me to love not my own life unto death. I'm not even afraid of death anymore. Death isn't a loss to me. God, I can do nothing but win in you. I have already got the victory. And you just start talking and saying things that make sense to your heart and teach yourself the truth in prayer. Why? Because every time you release faith, grace comes to make that truth your reality. And you come out of the room changed. Why? Because you're a believer. You get it? Man, that sure just beats praying a prayer list that's a mile long. And you walk out of your room with fingers crossed and hope the boss doesn't talk to you mean. And as soon as he talks to you mean, you wonder why your prayers aren't working. Because you prayed for a half hour crying that he changes and treats you better. It's not the point. The point isn't your boss changing and treating you better. The point is you being like Christ in the midst of his life. So when you're letting the boss dictate your mood and attitude, it's a form of idolatry. You're actually making him Lord without realizing it. He's governing your life. And you're using God to shift and move him so you're okay. That means he's greater than what you see and believe. Your boss rules your life. We don't even realize that stuff. That's what happens when people get angry and they, they, they react and they get in unforgiveness, so they cut people off. When you cut them off, you're a living product of what you're angry at. You're letting them paint you every day. They ought to just sign their name at the bottom of your photograph. They're fashioning you every day <laughs> when you live angry and in unforgiveness. Why? Because you keep the offense alive. Forgiveness renders it as if it never happened. Guys, it's detrimental to our lives, these things. I promise you, just simple discrepancies within a church house. Just this little room I'm looking at are the intimate people. They're the 70s. They're the, they're the ones that are a part that God's sending out with function and purpose and influence. This is called a core. This is the people that pastor can look at and invite it and says, these are people that are running with what we're here for. And the simplest, littlest, pettiest things have come in time and time and time again to keep that thing from fly, flying. And it proves that we don't know him like we sing. And it proves that sometimes we're too busy being right instead of righteous. And all of a sudden we have a reason for being in the flesh than a reason to live by the Spirit. And we say, well, I wouldn't feel that way if they didn't. Well, they know better. They are saved way longer than me. And all of a sudden you have a language that justifies your pain and assures you're never changing. You're going to take a hit. As soon as you yell, but you're, you're in a language that's going to keep you there. I don't need permission to stay whatever I am that doesn't look like him. I've got too many reasons to change. So why would I let what you said trump what he's already spoken? Why would I trump, let what you did trump what he's already done? So what I'm talking about is finding your identity through Christ. Okay, now the Lord's scolding me a little bit because I'm stalling. I'm getting scolded a little bit. 
He said, if you haven't gone there and I've put it on your heart again and again, I'm going to cry and i got to go to Let's just do this thing, man. Let me read a couple of scriptures real quick. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm just going to read a little section of, of, of Romans 12. I want you to see that we're a part of something. Romans 12. We're a part of something. I have a color code in my Bible. It's personal. I made it up myself. You don't need my color code. You can make your own color code up. Mine's not more anointed, okay? You see that? You see that colors? Everything that's green indicates something to do with the love of God or God's love. See that purple? They're commandments and things that God asks of me to give myself to and to become. So everything purple is a commandment. You see that little, can you see the orange? That's a promise and the purple above it is a condition that, that causes me to walk in that promise. Who knows that there's promises, love's not conditional. Salvation, you're saved by grace, but who knows that uh, first commandment with a promise. Honor your mother and it'll be well with you and life will be long. Don't honor your mother and father. You can take away the last part. It's probably going to be tough and life might not be long. <laughs> you follow me? So it's just if you love him, you obey him. You don't obey him to prove love. You love him. And because you love him, you obey him. If you love me, you'll do my word and my commandments aren't burdensome, he says, right, man. So let me just read. See all that purple. That's awesome. That's just stuff that he's called me to become. That's stuff he's asking me. And here's why I can receive it so easy. Jesus didn't come and preach at us. He lived the life. He, he, he lived the word. So he modeled a life that we're created for. The word became flesh. So he didn't preach a sermon. He lived the life. So is there anything Jesus is asking of me? That he didn't walk out in as a person. Isn't that, that's, that humbles me. Like he's not just sitting up. Do you know today's world, people go get an education. They get the white hat and they're a supervisor over people and they've never done the job. They just. And that makes the people in the trenches mad. Because there's somebody telling them how to do what they've never done. Jesus isn't like that, and I'm not even saying that's necessarily wrong. I'm just saying people don't handle that well. What I'm saying is Jesus has never done that. He's been in the trenches. He was tempted at all points, yet without sin. He's not an a high priest that's unsympathetic. He understands because he's been in the flesh. He knows what's coming at us because it came at him, yet he overcame. So he wants to lead you into that place of overcoming. Yeah, we're more than conquerors. How can we be more than, how are you more than a conqueror? How are you more than a conqueror? I heard a, a, a minister share one time. He said, he said, let me explain more than a conqueror. He said, the conqueror goes out and wins the battle. He fights the fight. He sheds the blood. He takes the bruises. He said, take a boxer. He's a heavyweight championship, heavyweight boxer, man. He is the champ. And he's in the ring. Bam. And they slug it out. They're in the final round. And bam, 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 bam. And he said, and when the thing, the bell rings, there's bruises, there's sweat, there's fatigue, there's weight loss. But he said, at the end, man, this is championship by the world. The ref puts his hand up. And he's the conqueror. He just won. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. He said, man, they hand him his couple million dollar purse. And he had so many. hands it to Amber. So David just hands it to Amber. And she just becomes more than conqueror. <laughs> and I love the illustration because here's the deal. 
Jesus fought this battle. Jesus went into death. He raised by the spirit of holiness, by the spirit of God, and trumped hell, death, and the grave forever. He comes up. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Now go in my name. And all of a sudden, he makes you more than a conqueror. He passes on to you everything he paid for, everything he accomplished, and everything he's done. He hung there on a cross. He paid the price, shed blood. People mocked him. He was stripped naked, I believe. And there he was hanging. Guess what we do? We get baptized in a sincere moment of faith and sincerity. And in one or two seconds, we go under the water, symbolic of his death, representing the death, burial, and resurrection, and come out with new life and step into everything he purchased. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So if we really get this and don't let the fall of man rob us with self-centered thinking, come on, we tend to think for ourselves. There's destructive attitudes that creep in. Well, I don't feel. Well, I don't want. Well, I don't know why. Even towards God. Well, I don't know why God isn't answering my prayer. Stop, stop, stop. Grave deception. You're saying, hey, enemy, I don't understand. Come on, you can't make this thing about you. It's about his great name. And yet his love towards you is personal and intimate. And yes, he blesses. And yes, he provides. And yes, but I'll tell you what. You have to settle in your heart. I'm surrendered. I'm going for this thing. Even if it's whether I live, whether I die, I do it under the Lord. Why? Because you have a way bigger picture in faith called life forever in him. And you've got nothing to lose. So run the race. Leave a legacy and mark hearts. Yeah? And one day... You're going to be glad you were a believer. (laughs) Well, you think you're going to stand before the Lord, his fiery eyes of love, his liquid passion pouring out of him, and the essence of truth itself, and there's not one ounce of deception in his presence, and you go, oops, because all of a sudden, all these things you believed, you say, ah, and then you go, you know, Lord, I would have believed more in you if it wasn't for my spouse. You're not even going to be able to think that. When I say it and describe it like that, you know it would be silly. So don't let it be true now. Oh, that's solid. We've been holding back a little. We need to get free, man. Actually, I've been very, very holding back today in a sense of some, there's just some things on my heart here, but we're getting there real soon. How long do I have? A lot of time. No, no. (laughs) Are you guys getting something out of this? Listen, this is big deal stuff. You you can't, uh, are you guys okay? Can I talk plain? You're not going to get hurt and offended, right? Look. I know there's trials. I know people have done us wrong. I know sometimes intimate, close people that you put some trust in and got trapped in stuff and expectations have just seemingly done the unthinkable stuff. You can't afford for a moment to feel sorry for yourself. It's a dead giveaway. This thing is never about you. It's about Christ in you. And if you feel sorry for yourself, you're missing the reason you're here, Christ in you. You don't have to believe me. Time will tell. I'm telling the truth. I've been saved 22 years in June. I'm aware of a five-minute window where I legitimately was feeling sorry for myself in 22 years, 21 and a half years. 
Now, I don't usually speak that stuff in the pulpit because people get self-condemned. They say, well, count me out. And they can't even hear what I'm saying because they compare it to themselves instead of being inspired to realize it's possible. So we're just taught to be condemned. We're just taught to compare. We're just taught. Life has just taught us. Bummer, bummer, bummer. You talk on marriage. And, and somebody's sitting there thinking, well, yeah, I sure blew that. And the spouse is sitting there thinking, yeah, I hope my spouse is listening. And instead of really hearing what God's trying to say. I try to talk about my grandfather. You can't even hardly talk about my grandfather. My, I had a grandfather, and you have to qualify it so much because every grandfather, when they listen, practically says, well, count me out. Grandkids go, well, that ain't my grandpa. Instead of realizing it's possible, no matter what's been, let's get a hold of truth and go for now. And let's let the years in front of us so trump the years behind us that this is heaven on earth. Or we're just going to be trapped in a wisdom that's so menial, that's so eh, that we'll find it was the devil in the world. Yeah? You say, what about your grandfather? I was 48 and still had a granddad living. That's a long time to have a granddad when you're 48 and you still got a grandpa. And what a good man. So I have six cousins. There's seven of us. My grandfather died. He was six months shy of 100 when he passed. Clear in his mind. He could sit. I'd walk in his house. He'd be sitting on a chair. Hey, Danny boy. It's good you came to see your old grandpa. You know, I won't always be sitting in this chair. Gentle smile. And I'd say, well, I don't know. You're getting us all thinking you're always going to be sitting here in this chair. <laughs> he would laugh. I did my grandfather's funeral. My family called and asked if I would represent his life in the memorial. I said, I would be honored. I started to cry at the funeral, realizing something that came out of my heart. I'd never realized it till the funeral. Never thought long about it. Never realized. I just knew he was a gentle kind. But at the funeral, I realized, and I said it. And when I said it, my six cousins exploded in tears. Now, when I tell you this. Don't you hear it as condemnation and judgment? And don't you compare among, see that it is possible. Now watch this. My grandfather was 99 and a half. I had not one memory. I was 48. Not one memory from little up. Not because I pushed it out. I had not one memory of my grandfather touching me in disdain, disappointment, or anger my whole life. And when I shared that, my six cousins lost it. Why? They all had the same testimony. Why? Because my grandfather was a Christian man and he spent every morning getting down on his knees. And he wanted to send that message to his family and to people. Because the Lord's kind, the Lord's gentle, the Lord's tender mercies. So don't tell me it's possible. I have a living resume in my own life called my grandfather. Who never, don't, don't think I didn't position him for it. <laughs> at a young age. But let me tell you what happened, what his life did to me. All my cousins started realizing that the one that she always said she was the black sheep of the family, and she was in girls' homes in mid-teenage. She was in detention homes when she was 13, doing drugs and having sex and stuff, and just running wild. There's a lot of trauma. If you don't have Jesus, you can't handle this stuff. I was, I was not eight. My cousin was nine, her brother, and we both ran across the street. I was the fastest kid in the whole school, man. You couldn't outrun me. So my cousin knew that, and my brother knew that, so my brother's on a bike, and he says, beat you to Aunt Barb's. He's not sure I ain't going to pass him on the bike, because, I mean, I could smoke it. I was a runner. And my, my little cousin, Donnie, he was a year older than me, and not quite, 
and he had just turned nine. I was still eight. My brother was nine. And my brother said, beat you to Aunt Barb's. And he shoots across the street on his bike. And I'm like, no way. And Donnie takes off running because he has to get to jump on me if he's ever going to have a chance to even get close to, to, Aunt, to his house. And he gets, from me to you, I turn to run, and a car comes down the road. The guy's drinking. He's going 70 on a city street racing. He hits my cousin and knocks him a city and a half block in the air, slid on his face, boom, dead. Never saw Donnie again. Stuff happens in your life. There's traumas. There's tragedies, man. But when you look at me, you can't see any of that stuff. I could tell you thing after thing. You say, these aren't the sermons I like, brother. I just want good. I just want no. I, look, he's not our survival kit. He's not a security blanket. He brings the integrity of life. You give yourself to something and the winds blow and the winds beat and the rains come and nothing can take the house down that he built. Nothing. But my cousin didn't handle it. Family didn't handle it. I don't know what I did as a young man and how that affected me, but I never thought deep on it. It was just one of those things that happened, and I can see it like it was yesterday. But it, but it, doesn't, it doesn't have a bad effect on me. But my cousin ran wild, and, 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 her, and her parents just, and, oh, man, and, and I watched them. They died early. It's just tough, man. But I was at the funeral, and my cousin came up to me, and she said, do you know what? That was my testimony, too. Even though I lived and acted the way I have my whole life, he has never once disdained me. And she said, and you know what? I so respected him. It brought out such an honor for him in my life that around him, I was on my best behavior. And I started to realize the power of honor, true honor. Honor's not carrying my suitcase or holding my Bible on the way into church. Honor is perceiving and seeing who Jesus is and letting that truth bring the best out in you. Why do you think God's name has been so marred? Why do you think the name of the Lord is so miscued and so many people have so many takes and the Lord's this and the Lord's that and the Lord's this? Why do you think in Ezekiel, he said he was going to move in a day and put a new heart and a new spirit in man? And he said, I'm not doing it for your sake, but for my great name. He said, you've gone out among the nations and profaned my name. He's not slamming them. He's crying out a truth. The whole reason Israel was his nation was so the nations of the earth would know his name through them. He said, you've went out and marred my name, but I'm going to do a move that's coming. That's going to be for my great name. When you see God for who he really is, when you see you've been loved, you love. When you see God for the character and integrity of the person that he is, there's something about it that's designed to bring the best out in you and to raise you in levels of diligence and integrity and surrender and submission. And I'm convinced of this. People that struggle in their lives don't have a real good picture of him and don't really see clear who he really is through his son. We have theology, we have doctrine, and we've quoted thousands of scriptures and we've sang all the right songs. But have we been with him and sought him long enough to see him and find him? Because if you ever take one good look at the person of who he is, it changes you and it brings out the best in you. So here's what I found. 
that because of who my grandfather was, and we started to discern at a very little age, at a long way back, I can go back and remember that I didn't put my grandfather in that position because of the honor I held for him and the respect and all I ever was was loved by him. And even if he had to correct me or even adjust me, it was with kindness, with gentleness. And the honor that I had for my grandfather probably surpasses any one that I've ever had in my personal physical life. And I was on my best behavior when I was with grandpa. You get the principle? So I have a granddaughter and guess what relationship we have? She has never seen me touch her in disdain, negativity. I am carrying the legacy of my grandfather with my granddaughter. And guess what? I'm her favorite person on the planet, not because I spoil her and hand her bags of candy and extra this and that. I, don't, I know how to say no, actually. And she knows how to hear no from me. I can take that little girl, true story, for seven and a half, eight hours in a car, hang out for a couple days and come the whole way back, and she doesn't give me one reason to get stern. Why? It's an established relationship. You say, well, I've blown that up. Well, that sure ain't me. We can begin to work towards something. I'm not preaching perfection and I'm not preaching condemnation. I'm stirring you to go after something that's possible because it is. And it's not about never missing it. It's not about risking failing. It's the privilege of becoming. And here's the challenge. If you learn what it means to love not your own life unto death, you won't be afraid of that privilege because it's never about failing. It's about becoming. So if you don't step towards it, how will you become it? So on the day that you cross the line of your desire, what do you do? Crash, burn, fall apart, sulk for three days? No. You go, wow, I caught it, God, immediately. Man, that thing came out. I expressed that to him, to her, and that is so not my heart desire. And what they did was, man, it almost shocked me and out of line. It caught me off guard. God, I never want to come across that way. You've done nothing but love me and bring the best out of me. And God, I thank you for making me wiser, sharper, smarter. God, you're so good to me. Man, the truth is burning in my heart. And all of a sudden, you run to them and say, hey, listen. And they're like, yeah, and they know they did wrong. And they, and they might not even be like, you know, wow, I can't believe you raised your voice at me. They might actually feel like, well, I had that coming. Who knows? But what you say is, listen, honey, it's never my intention to get stern like that in that way where it looks like I'm so mad at you or disgusted or frustrated because that is never the case. Here's what I know. You are so much more than what you've done here. And your life is so much greater than what you've given yourself to. And I know that and I want to steward that and forgive me for seeming to take it personal because, man, you're so much more I love you. And all of a sudden, they see the honor of repentance. They see the beauty of humility. And all of a sudden, they can receive your correction. Why? Because we're not just sending Billy to his room because he's wrong. We're sending Billy to his room to think about it because he's so much more and we give him something to think about with our words. You guys follow me? Okay. My mother... MS for 40 years of my life. I've seen people healed of MS. Watched my mother die. She was on tubes, feed, bathroom. When I was young, I carried her to bed. I changed my mother's diapers years ago. When you see me, you can't see that. You don't see an alcoholic dad that never said I love you. You don't see both my children making bad decisions costing about eight years of their life. They're doing great today. You can't see any of that. Yeah? 
Can you see touched wrong at a young age? Can you see that when you look at me? <laughs> Why? Because none of that has anything to do with the truth. And you say, but if God was good, why do you have to go through? I don't even think about that. I know God's good because he sent his son to rescue me out of the darkness so that I don't think the same way everybody else thinks and gets hurt and hard and even angry at my answer. Here's my mother, sick for 40 years, laying in a bed. The last 15 years, she couldn't even walk. She's stuck to that bed. When I was a young man, I watched her drag her legs and body through the house and do wash and continue to function as a mother. Make us suffers. I remember one day she screamed and I ran in and she was trying to make spaghetti. She had the border boiling and she moved it over to another burner and she had a mess and she, and she slipped and it tipped and the whole scalding water came down over her whole body. And I remember stripping my mother naked and getting all the ice out of the freezer crying and just rubbing ice all over her as we called dad and tried to find out what to do. It was just, you know, stuff like that, man. You just walk through stuff. And thank God I have a greater gospel than just the trauma of the way it was. And boy, I need prayer and I need deliverance. And No, I've been delivered. I have been delivered. Because watch this. My mother passed. And I actually believe there was a way for her to get up out of that bed. I believe there's a way to touch her and see God heal her. I actually believe that. I, I don't write it off as a sovereign choice and God took her. I just believe it's so close. There's so many emotions and we're learning and growing. Come on, some of us just get mad at the littlest things. We're frustrated at the smallest things and then we want to talk about raising the dead. We probably ought to get authority over balancing the checkbook or something. <laughs> or running to the grocery store. Or pushing through traffic. We want to raise the dead and life's eating our lunch if we're not careful. Here's the testimony of my mother. Don't be condemned by it. Be convicted by it and realize it's possible. I did my mother's funeral as well. My dad called me and said, I don't know anybody that can represent mom's life and heart more than you, but I don't know if you can handle it. So please think about it, pray about it. And I said, Dad, it's a no-brainer. I'll do it. He said, I would love to do mom's funeral. There was nurses and doctors at her funeral. Not one or two several like two different staffs of nurses and several doctors that's unheard of every once in a while a nurse will get close to somebody and be able to slip in with their schedule to their memorial but the director of the city hospital doctors doesn't show up and neither does another doctor and neither does a handful of nurses they don't show up at a person's funeral unless they saw something so amazing about the person that they feel like they need to be there to honor and I, I caught on to what I was seeing. And I saw these people at mom's funeral, a lady that laid in a bed for 15 years and was sick for 40. I figured it would be immediate family and a handhold. Full people. I had in my mind who was probably going to be there and the size of it. And when I turned in the cemetery, there was nowhere to park the whole way around to the top. And they all came to honor a woman they were touched by in a way that were called the touch people. She separated MS from Christ in her. I have no memory not because I forgot. No memory of my mother complaining about her life, her condition, or the disease. 40 years. Because in the Bible it says, don't complain. Now you be real with me. We have learned and justified complaining 
in many ways. And the Bible says when you complain, you reveal it's about you. And when you don't complain and remain thankful, you reveal it's about him. Now, I'm not saying this is condemnation heavy. I'm telling you it's possible. So I have had a benefit. I've had a grandfather and a mother that have set me an amazing example that I've never even heard of personally. So I have extreme heritage in those two testimonies. So I'm a very privileged man. I better make the most of that privilege and run a race and follow what. You would walk into my mother's room. She's riddled with disease. She can't walk. There's tubes feeding her and she's going to the potty in tubes. And she would smile as sweet as you've ever seen and say, hey. And I'd say, hey, mama, how are you? And she'd say, well, I'm fine. Why? Because she was. Because she wasn't identifying with MS. She was identifying with Christ. And even though she believed in the theology of healing, she knew that shining was more important. And when she died, nurses came to her funeral and several doctors. Isn't that impressive? Let me just read this. I won't preach. I'm just going to read. Just, just listen to the word, how loud it speaks and clear. It's Romans 12, 9. I'm just jumping in. There's so many places like this I could turn and read. Yeah, I'm looking at more. I'm just going to get my eyes over back over here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble and do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one, no one, evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, how powerful is that when you just read it and really listen from your heart? He said, there's days coming where men are going to offend one another, betray one another, and hate one another. And false voices are going to rise up in the earth. That's what he says. And he says, and because lawlessness abounds, the love of many, some translations most, will grow cold. But he who endureth till the end shall be What's the goal of lawlessness in that chapter in Matthew 25? The goal of lawlessness isn't to give you a hard day. It's not about you at all. It's not about coming into your comfort zone and ruffling your life. The goal of lawlessness is to subvert your love because it's why you're on the planet. Because lawlessness abounds, people analytically assess it, the lawlessness they allow the love to grow cold and they justify a cold heart because of extreme lawlessness. And yet God so loved the world and why we were yet sinners, he sent the son. 
All these strategies are set up to steal his image from our lives so that we can sing about him but not represent him. So we can pray to him when we're in trouble but not manifest him in the fire. Are you guys with me? These are all strategies and devices set up to steal what he really came for. And if we're not careful, we live in a society called America and freedom and liberty and land of the free that we preach a beneficiary gospel. And we have a lot of discouraged people that go to church instead of a transforming gospel where people are full of integrity, character and don't know how to compromise. going to read a couple scriptures am I and where where be honest with me where am I with time what do I need to do no 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 zealots zealots 15 minutes okay I gotta look to the pastor not the zealots okay I love you man two hours dude we'll just go hang out I'll finish the rest of the story who knows, in two hours we won't be done. I feel the gospel all over me. Like right now, this is an all day or thing. You could just high build and you wouldn't even have to go to the bathroom. It just freezes. Everything stops, man. I'm just serious, man. Serious. You ever have it happen? You're so busy loving somebody, you got to go to the bathroom so bad, you don't think you can make it, and all of a sudden somebody steps in front of you. It happened to me in a marketplace. I didn't even think I thought I waited too long to get to the bathroom because I was talking to somebody. I thought, I said to my friend, look, you got to hold down the booth here, man. I got to go, man. I don't I think I waited too long. I get to the door and a lady comes in and says, can I talk to you? I said, sure. Hour or something later, she leaves crying. We're hugging. Me and my buddy are sitting talking. He said, you never went to the bathroom. I said, I don't even have to. That's happened to me so much. God just takes it away. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> a supernatural catheter bag. It's just <laughs> gone. <laughs> God. Okay, look, st no, stop, wait. Do you know why you're laughing? Because it's about to get crazy intense. That's the anesthesia, it's working. <laughs> you won't feel half the pain. This is so good, see, it's still working. It's so good. It's, it's Holy Ghost anesthesia, I can tell. Only let, uh, Philippians 1, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you see, you see that Paul's given the honor of being a part of something called the kingdom. They're not doing church, guys. They've become something. Do you get it? And he says that I may hear of your affairs. So they're committed. They're surrendered. They love not their lives. They denied themselves. What's Paul say in Timothy? He says, man, I've run the race. I've fought this fight. I've stayed on this course, man. I have kept the faith. So he, he reveals that he is a part of something and he's on a mission. He's not just enjoying life and saying, praise the Lord. There's a purpose in his life. There's a purpose in his salvation. There's a reason Holy Ghost is in him. Do you get it? Okay. So he says, that I may hear of your affairs, that you should uh, stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See? The faith of the gospel. He's not talking about a tool in your belt to get a prayer answered. He's talking about perspective you live by. 
something you've become now that he came. The faith of the gospel is a new life. It's a new life that you've received and a new why behind that life. And you can't let anything steal that away. Satan comes like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing steadfast in the faith. Has nothing to do with a tool in your belt to get a better job. Has to do with the perspective you live by while you're under assault. Where you don't internalize it and take it personal because you already took the gospel personal. And you have a way bigger picture than right now and how it seems and feels. So you're not going to be selling cheap because you're not for sale. Your life's not your own. You've been bought with a price. And there's an integrity and an honor in what I'm saying. There's a power in this thing. So one mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, I love that. The faith of the gospel. A lot of us will live our whole Christian life and never be taught and really understand the phrase, the faith. Faith is a perspective. When everything's going wrong, when your mother dies and she's sick and doesn't get healed, faith says there's a bigger picture. Death's been defeated. If God wasn't for us, Jesus wouldn't have came. He secured life. He's the reason for my life. He owes me not a thing. I'm the, he's the reason I'm here, and I give it all to him. And I might not have straight answers in every situation, and some things might be perplexing. But one thing I know. He is good, and he's my father, and I came forth from him, and I'm going to live to the glory of his name. Period. Yeah? Come on. All I'm preaching is Christianity. (laughs) It's what I'm preaching. And it's so much scripture here. And not in any way, woe, and not in any way, terrified by your adversaries. Watch how powerful this is. I might as well read it off of here. You guys are so awesome. Everybody keeps looking up. I keep thinking there's angels above me and it's just the screen. I try to think spiritual. I'm like, Lord, you got that big blue guy, you know, he's a big blue angel. (laughs) Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them. Look at this. To your adversary, guess what it is? A proof of destruction. (laughs) You know, Ephesians 2, it says... The manifold wisdom of God's revealed, right? To, that in this last time, the gospel's on the earth. And Paul said, I have a revelation of it. He intended God would make his manifold wisdom known to the powers and principalities through the church. <laughs> take that, right? It's God saying, take that. You think you had them crushed? You think you know all men? You think everybody's the same? I'm telling you, there's a Job out there, and he ain't like nobody on the earth, and nobody's like him. And the devil says, oh, yeah, right. Every man's about himself. Every man loves himself. As soon as I take his blessing, he's just blessing you because you blessed him. I take away the blessing. You'll see his true colors. He's like any other man. And God said, no, he isn't. And then when Job didn't change, he said, well, let me touch his body. We touch his body, skin for skin. A man will do anything. This is the devil talking to God. A man will do anything to save his own life. That's what he believes about you. Don't make him right. He believes you're weak. He believes you're a Christian for what God can do for you. He doesn't believe you love God. He believes you need God. There's a difference. 
He believes you're like anybody else that ever went to church, that ever read their Bible, that ever read a promise book. He believes you're in this for your sake, not his great name, and he's determined to prove it. And if you don't understand adversity and you don't understand the schemes and strategies of the devil, you'll give him place. And Paul said, give him no place and don't be unaware of his devices. I know I'm a little intense. I'm sorry. I'm finally getting free. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't. I really wasn't. Not in any way, not in any way. Terrified by your average. Listen, loss is loss and there's a place for tears. You're just not overcome by loss because you have a bigger picture than loss. We're not saying loss isn't real. My mother passed. Two weeks after she passed, I was on a road and I looked at my clock and I went, oh my goodness, I got time. I can fit in my schedule. I can swing over and say hi to mom. I got halfway to her house and realized she wasn't there. Stuff's real. So what do you do? Pull over and cry? You could, I guess. I just said, God, thank you for her life. Thank you for her testimony. Thank you for everything that I've received through her. God, I'm so glad she was my mother. God, thank you for the blood of Jesus that secured her for eternity. And I know she's running well right now. God, so I'm going to run well. And one day we'll come together and rejoice we believed. That sure beats tears, depression, and grieving as if we have no hope. Paul said, don't do it. So listen to Paul and don't do it. Not in any way terrified by adversaries, which is them a proof of perdition to you. Evidence is your salvation. And that from God. Isn't that amazing? What's the next verse? For to you it's been granted, watch this, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. What's he saying? everybody's going through trials. There's things coming. We're in a war and there's things coming. The same storm comes to the wise and the foolish. It doesn't mean you did something wrong and it doesn't mean you opened a door. And it's not, why is God letting this happen? No, we're in a war. You're proclaiming faith and the enemy's saying, yeah, hot shot, we'll see. You're telling your best friend what they need to do and two weeks later you're in the same trial. You're giving all the answers to somebody over the phone, and now you need those answers the next day, three days later. It's not an accident. He's saying, okay, hotshot preacher, you think you have all the answers to understand? I don't think you even know a thing about what you told. You just gave them principles. It ain't your life, and I'll prove it. Bam! And he runs a risk every time he does that because his intention is to break you because he's not impressed with your church attendance. He could care less you come to Rock City. He cares when you stand and look like Jesus and shine. And that's what's going to touch a city. That's what's going to change a region. That's when people that don't know how to compromise and come hell or high water, he is the Lord and they shine. And then people hear their story and find out what they went through and they realize they couldn't see that on their countenance. And all of a sudden they understand things like Shadrach, Meshach, how they could go through a fire and come out with no smell of smoke and nothing burned. Why? Because it was as if they were never in the fire because their faith said they never were. That is powerful. And that's what's going to touch lives. Because then people say, how could you go through that and not? Man, if I'd have been half through half of that, I'd have fell apart. I'd have died. I'd have withered. Well, that's the whole thing. You've got to understand your life's not your own. You're not living to survive. You're living to shine. Come on. This kind of preaching, and I'm not boasting in me preaching because just, I just believe it's the Lord. This kind of preaching is missing my whole life until recent years, and God is starting to stir the pot of truth, and he's raising up people that are going to run this thing. I'm just telling you. 
Because this kind of message wasn't around when I first got saved. I didn't even hear it. It was in me. And I was like, whoa, I'd have a home group. You know what my home group looked like? Me crawling around in the living room on my knees with a house so packed, and I'm nine months old in the Lord. And it's so packed, I couldn't fit no more, so we started raising up leaders and splitting it, and we split it like four times, and the challenge was trying to get them to want to go to that house and not come to ours. I'd be on the floor crawling around, just preaching. One day, I tore the buttons right off my shirt. I know you can't picture me that passionate, but I got there. I, I was crawling on my knees. I pointed right to my wife. I said, do you see her sitting there? That is my wife. I love her. For the first time, I understand love in my life. And that's my girl. That's the mama of our two children. And I love her so much. And them two kids. I said, but you take her from me. And you strip them kids from my life and tear down this house. And I went and tore my shirt. You ripped the shirt off my back. And I was so passionate. They were all sitting there. I said, you can't touch me now. You can't touch me now because I finally understand. And they weren't, they were like, dude, you're freaking us out. They're like, this isn't really why we came to your house. Like, we wanted you to pray that we'd be filled with the Spirit and lay on your floor. We were like praying you'd pray, fill, fill, fill. Like, you're freaking us out. You know what I was saying? I was saying my young heart and the Lord realized something. If I keep my eyes on him, I can never lose because we already won. And the most I can lose is a, is, a, is a no able to answer a scenario question of why did it happen, how did it happen, and just say, you know what? My integrity toward God is way bigger than an unanswered question. I can't figure all that out. Someday it might make sense, but I know one thing that makes sense. I'm alive for his image, and I'm going after the goal, and I'm either in faith or I'm not. So let's go for this thing, and let's run worthy of a prize. Yeah. We're believers, aren't we? So what's that mean? That God's blessing us and taking care of us and meeting every need? Or does it mean that we're going to run through life no matter what and never change our mind? What's it mean to be a believer? Come on, anybody can believe for good things. But how do you press through when your mom is sick and she doesn't get healed? How do you press through when you have to bury her at age 68 and that's your mama? And you never saw her whole for 40 years. If you're not a believer, how do you get through? How can you teach on this stuff if you can't live it? How can you even think that it's possible if you haven't walked through it? <laughs> Are you following me? Bible says, don't grow weary and well-doing. Before it says that, it says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall reap. If he sows into the flesh, you think it's murder and theft and adultery all the time. It's not. It's just living by the flesh, flesh wisdom, flesh reasoning, flesh justification. If you live by the flesh, right, of the flesh, you'll reap destruction. But if you live by the spirit of the spirit, You'll reap life. He didn't say everything's going good. He's talking about things that are not going good because he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't talk yourself out of truth with an analytical mindset that turns inward and feels sorry for you in your circumstance. Because if Jesus would have done it for a moment, 
He wouldn't have been loved and he couldn't have done what he did. <coughs> Are you guys with me? <coughs> I wasn't going to do this and say this. I was trying, yeah, I just, <coughs> I just, it doesn't matter. I don't even care. I'll drink anybody's water. I, I just don't care. <laughs> I've crawled into wrecks, smashed cars over half a dozen times and came out with their blood all over me. Why? You just don't do that in today's age. I'm not telling you to do it. And I'm not boasting. You don't think about that stuff when you're thinking kingdom. You think about people. You don't think about what they're carrying. You know what you're carrying. It's not presumptuous. And you don't have to try to correct me for it because you're way late. <laughs> and if you're not okay with it, fine. But leave me alone. <laughs> but I could tell you some stories at some scenes of some accidents where convulsions stopped people woke up a kid high trapped hanging upside down with his legs crushed under pedals and he was screaming in pain the peace of God came over him in conviction and ministered to him as his friends convulsing on the sidewalk because he got thrown out of the highway out of the car under the highway and the car's upside down and I crawled over a fence and crawled through briars and I got up there and I laid hands on him and he laid still on the sidewalk and I just praised God for redeeming him. And I crawled in the car and said, hey, man, his blood's dripping down. And I got out and I realized it's on me. And, 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 and I followed up with the accident. They both got taken to the hospital and treated for minor bruises, injuries, and released. His legs were crushed under the pedals, holding him in the air upside down. And his friend was laying with head trauma, convulsing on the asphalt. And Jesus said, I was sitting at a, at, a, at, a, at a place we were trying to turn with my kids in the car and somebody was turning and you know how people get talking and they're driving in a one lane road and the person stopped to turn and they didn't look up. They're going 30 to 35 talking, two ladies and she just smashed, never touched the brakes or looked up, just smashed right into a stopped car that was waiting to turn. Happened right beside us. We had to swerve the guy, bam, and we, it looked like a crash dummy commercial into the telephone pole. And you can't even believe the recoil of his body. It looked like a crash dummy commercial. And I whipped off the road and said, just stay in the car, kids. I'll be right back. And I ran to the car and I opened up the, the, the door and I got in there and he's laying and he's going, oh, oh, it was terrible. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I began to speak and he sits right up and looks his spooky fun hair stand up, look me right in the eyes. And I said, it's okay, sir. Jesus is here. I said, you were just in a car wreck. The lady slammed into your bumper and pushed you across the road into the pole. You hit the pole very hard. You're sitting in your truck, but you're going to be fine. Remember this. I could hear the cop racing because the police barracks and red lines were right there. And I thought, I'll just slip out of here. I said, remember Jesus because you're coming out of this fine. You remember Jesus. And I slipped out. That's where the angel testimonies come from. Like, like this guy will say, all I know is I woke up and this smiling face was so going, Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. But it wasn't an angel. It was a real guy filled with the spirit of God. That's not afraid to jump in the car because I believe he can and I believe he paid a price. Okay, I didn't know how to do this because it was in my heart all morning to do it, but I'm going to close with it and I'm done. There's a couple more scriptures, but I'm not going to read them. First Peter 1, if you want to read it, it would be amazing. Like 1 through 9 would just be phenomenal. 
<laughs> we can't get through it. It would take another afternoon. But it talks about at the end of that chapter, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Not your spirit, your mind and your emotions. Faith, believing through adversity, leads you to the redemption of the emotional makeup you were intended to walk in in the first place. The salvation of your soul, the healing, deliverance, restoration and preservation of your makeup. Two times the Bible talks about the salvation of your soul in the New Testament and both times it's through faith. Yeah, because yeah. if there's one thing that's gotten so perverted in our lives, it's our emotions, because our emotions are all hinged on self-centered thinking. So here's what I'm going to say, and I'm not I'm not going to try to bust this up too bad and get too emotional. It's going to be a little hard for me to just to get used. So I knew that these guys lost their baby Eden in August. I knew that because he was communicating with me. He sent me some texts that were extraordinary. And I read him and I cried and I showed him the life. I said, I want you to read a man of God in the midst of a very intense, what you can't even imagine until you're in that situation. Because it's real. It's their baby. And then I find out other trials and mama passing and a sickness trying to come and all this stuff. And last night. I'm looking up at him, playing them bongos and doing his little bird call and playing his little whistle. And he's just, he just makes you happy. He's just up there. He's just doing it, man. And, I, and I'm standing there and all I'm thinking about is Eden. I'm thinking about Eden. I don't even know other stuff after that. I'm just thinking about Eden. And I have a heart for you. And I'm like, how's Amber? You know, and I saw you last night and I just was blessed to see you and just your countenance and just you. doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean there's not tears. All I have to do is say Eden and they cry. It's real. But there's a higher faith. There's a higher goal. There's something you believe. Now here's what I'm saying right now in integrity and honor. You guys got leaders. You got pastors that understand exactly what I've preached for years and years and years because they went through. He just told me in the car I've been through the most challenging, toughest year of my life. And I'm closer to God, more sensitive in the spirit. And I've come out of this thing shining more than ever. And I said, that's because that's the gospel. Now, here's my point. If God has put a leader in place that is walking through those things, then we have a living epistle, an example that's not popping off, that does understand. And you can't say you don't know what I'm going through. Because that's not the point. The point is what he went through. Because we're not here to compare our horror stories and see who's been through the most hell. We're here to bring heaven on the earth. Yeah? So the integrity of what I saw, the little bit I saw Miss Amber, and I've been hanging with him and just watching you behind those bongos wiped me out. It was, I love you so much. I was like, I so love that God. Like, I wasn't even worshiping Jesus for a while. I, was just, I wasn't worshiping you. I was, I was touched. Well, kind of, it was a man thing. I was like, <laughs> I was getting a man crush. I was like, Ooh. I was picturing you with your long, flowing hair, running down the beach. <laughs> no, no, I'm just having fun. <laughs> I didn't see any of that. Believe me, I didn't. <laughs> I looked up there, 
and I saw the epitome of joy. I saw the epitome of sincere love for Jesus and love for people. And here's my point. When you looked at him last night or when you look at him this morning or any time, you can't see the last year except that he knows him more. That's all you see. That's scriptural. When Shadrach, when Rack, Shack, and Benny, we'll just go Veggie Tales. When Rack, Shack, and Benny <laughs> came out of the furnace, there's no way you could tell they were ever in there scripturally, except you know there was increased passion and intense revelation because what they said they believed, they saw. Yeah? yeah. It's the Christian testimony. No smell of smoke. It's Christian testimony. No smell of smoke. Come on. Don't think it's strange when you go through these various trials. Things. Your brothers all over the world are going through these things. Don't think it's strange. No smell of smoke on this house. Follow those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Pattern after those who you have as an example. I'm not exalting your leadership and your pastors right now. I'm exalting their faith in God because we're called to live by faith. And without faith, they would be crushed. Look how radical the gospel is. Because with faith, you can't even see last year. So I commend you for that. Living epistles and examples. I said I was done. I got to read one little piece and I'll be done. Five minutes and I'm, I'll just sit down. I'll let you close. I'll let you get us in more trouble. Okay? Yeah. I saved that for the very last because it was on my heart the whole time. But I knew God had a way to share it without being too crazy emotional. And I feel like we did well with that. And thank you for enduring and being real, honey. Okay, watch this. Paul talks in Philippians 3 about a righteousness that doesn't come from his works, but through Jesus, and he talks about gaining Christ. And you guys know how triumphant that whole section is. And I want you to see something here. He says in verse 9, not being found in him, Philippians 3, verse 9, you guys want to, you want to just, somebody, can somebody just throw that up and we'll just do it as a family? If not, they're good. They're quick. As soon as that gets up, they're just, if that's okay, guys. And not being found in him, verse 9, or uh, I'm sorry, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Oh, it's up there. Good. Which is from the law. And as I read, you can just scroll with me, my friend. I so appreciate you. Which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous, which, uh, righteousness which is from God by faith. Watch. See the goal? That I may know him. Yeah. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. See, the fellowship of his sufferings. He's not talking about sickness. Jesus wasn't sick. Jesus was misunderstood, he was lied about, he was perceived wrong, and he suffered for doing good constantly. Don't you let that stuff come to your life and say, well, I was only trying to do good. Don't try to get justice from men. Just, just follow Jesus. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now watch how intense this gets. 
This is these two right here that I'm going to end up talking about. This is why I'm reading the scripture. It's how the Lord's telling me to end. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Paul said, man, I'm growing. I'm increasing in this thing, but I'm pressing on. See, he has a goal, guys, that I look, look at this. Watch the intent of Jesus. Did you ever realize this stuff? Jesus has an intention in obtaining you that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. There's a purpose in life. It's not just going to heaven. There's a purpose in life. He laid a hold of you with a reason. And Paul said, I'm not backing off till I lay a hold of the reason he obtained me. Ah, brethren, I'm not counting myself to apprehended. That's called complacent, right? I'm not counting myself to God because you're always sowing seed. You're always plowing ground. You're always leaving the testimony. You're always marking the hearts of men with your attitude in your life. Not that I've apprehended, but one thing, not a three-point sermon, thank God. Just one thing I do. I forget the things which are behind me. Why? I'm not Lot's wife. I'm his. Okay? So I'm not looking behind me. I'm reaching forward. You have the present. You have the things to come. Yes, it's been a tough year. Yes, it's not that we've forgotten. Yes, the tears are still there, but we're reaching forward because we have the present and the things to come. If we live in yesterday, we'll never thrive in our today. I want to reach those things that are ahead. The reason I'm reading this, here's what I'm hearing in my heart, and it's, it's an honor. I'm honoring you. With this, I, I, I so was wiped out today sitting with you. I, I, I held back tears like you have no idea. I just wanted to blubber like a baby. Because <gasps> you're living this. And you're living this. And God's using you as an example to bring a strength and accomplish something. You got to throw away excuses. They're zero. You got to throw away. Your life's not your own. You denied yourself, Remember? Then why is it ever again about you and just how you feel and what you're going through? It has to always be about him in that situation. You'll never see clear. It'll get muddy and you'll make mistakes. Not that you want to. You just will because you won't see clear. I'm never rarely talking to a room of hypocrites. It's usually a lack of understanding. I find people that love him the best they understand him. So that's in all our getting, get understanding. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, let who? <laughs> yeah. As many as are mature have this mind. Now watch what he says. Because you could say, well, I'm just not that mature. <laughs> and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Paul's saying, I'll tell you what, even if you're not hearing what I'm saying, I'm believing God's going to come and make sure you see this. Now watch. Nevertheless, see, you say, well, I'm not mature. Watch. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, no matter where you think you are on the rung of the spiritual ladder, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And brethren, join. Here's where they come in. Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. He is not talking about people that never came to church and said they were born again. He's talking about people that turned away through circumstances, life, waywardness, and grew weary in well-doing. He's not talking about unbelievers. I'm telling you, their end is destruction, whose God is their belly. He's talking about living for the flesh, whose glory is their shame. They just set their mind on earthly things. Well, what about, well, how come? Well, why do I have to? Well, I don't know why. Well, how come? Why? We always think murder, steal, and adultery. No, no, no. Living by the flesh. 
thinking for yourself. Enough for his kingdom. Seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. Guys, we can live this way. Pattern us as you have for an example. When I stand here boldly and throw out a few things in my history of former life. And smile and say, you don't see that when you see me. That's scriptural. When you saw him dancing behind them bongos last night, you don't see the last year. You see his love and revelation for Jesus. And I see the faithfulness of God in it all. Let's run well and let's be the church that he paid for. Amen? I'm done, man. You want me to just pray? Okay. Okay. I get it. We're just going to pray, okay? I was trying to turn it over to him, but he's a washcloth right now. Saturated. Jesus' love. You have no idea how much I loved and respected you in that truck today. Whew, you have no idea. And, and his expression is rock city solid attitude. Unwavering. Just counting his life and how he got and just telling me the story and his testimony and the whole way back and all through, right up to the day he cut his hair. <laughs> And I just sat there and I'm choking on tears the whole time. I'm just like. That's when the message struck up. <laughs> Father, I just thank you for examples. First being you, King Jesus. And you never just said serve you. You said follow you. And I think that's amazing. That you would say follow me and we could take you sincere and serious. That's what I'm calling us to do today, God. And give us the grace to realize, yes, we can follow you. We can be the stewards of our own heart, our own conscience. We can steward our own situations and apply truth. We can look at our own hearts and evaluate and keep ourselves in a strong, healthy place, God. And what the enemy comes in intention to break and destroy, he actually can make. <laughs> and we can become that very thing. So, God, we're not picking a fight. We're not asking for adversity. We're just not afraid of it. And we in no way are terrified by our enemies. And God, to us, it's evidence of our salvation. To them, it's proof of their destruction. They have nothing in us because you own us through your blood. And yet you love us and we have intimate relationship. We're not your robots. We're your children. And the integrity of the Father is found in his children. I bless this house and pray for that revelation to continue to manifest. And I thank you for the hand set by your hand examples in this house that we could pattern and run well. Let us all lock arms together in the heart and in the spirit and have one mind in this house and one spirit and one faith. And let's manifest your image in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to an audio message from Dan Moeller presented at Rock City Church in the beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. Please visit us whenever you're in town. And our prayer is that you'll continue to be inspired and wind-driven in all that you do.